0: If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Yeshayahu in Hebrew means the Lord is salvation, and that's exactly what this book is about. About how fallen mankind can be saved only through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah Yeshua. We put our faith in God, believe in Messiah's resurrection, and dedicate our lives to following him. We are in the section of Isaiah where God told Israel to bring all their pagan idols, put them in a pile, and ask them to tell us what's going to be in the future. Or what happened in the past and how it'll turn out. Just prophesy anything. And the idol said what? Not a thing. And God says, my turn. And he tells us what's going to happen from that time forward, through the first coming of our Messiah, to his death, burial, and resurrection, to salvation by faith in him, and all the way out to the new heavens and the new earth. And this is where we pick up today. is in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 16. Remember in verse 14, God said, prepare a way for the people. Well, John the Baptist did that 2,000 years ago when he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We even looked at the scriptures that told us John the Baptist was fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah when he did that. In verse 15, God said, I'm looking for people to humble themselves before me, not to walk in prideful arrogance and self-righteousness, but to humble themselves, have a contrite and humble spirit. And verse 16 is where we pick up today and begins with the word for, which is because, which means we couldn't start there, of course. We have to know why. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. God said, if I continue to be angry and to pour out my judgment upon human flesh, they wouldn't survive. So there will come a time where God's anger will relent. God's judgment will be finished. And that day is coming soon. But let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Where Messiah says something that relates back to Isaiah 57 verse 16. Although I might not have always noticed that's what it was about. Matthew twenty-four twenty-two. Referring to the last three and a half years of the tribulation period called the Great Tribulation and the manifold judgments that are being poured out, God's wrath is being poured out without measure. It says and unless those days were shortened, unless they came to a close, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be short, meaning they will be brought to an end. If God were to continue to pour out his wrath in those bowls of judgment, allow them to continue forever and ever, then no flesh could stand before the wrath of God. But God will temper his wrath with mercy. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. That's another use of the word shortened. Would you like a long life in this world? Then live righteously before the Lord our God. If you want to die young, live wickedly. Some of you say, no, I don't want to live long in this world. I want to get raptured out of here. Well, that's not dying young. That's just being raptured out of here where life goes on forever and ever. What a beautiful time that's going to be. So let's go back to Isaiah 57 and verse 17, which begins again with the word for, which means because. Which means we're expounding again on verses 14, 15, and 16. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. Who's the he? Who's the his? Israel. Specifically, the wicked ones. And it explains why Israel came under God's judgment and got sent into captivity because how does God characterize them in the book of Isaiah, like Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's see, I have a couple of red things out here. Let's see. Okay. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. The striking here is with war. How God allowed Israel to be invaded by their enemies. Remember, what did God say back in Deuteronomy 28? If the people were faithful to him, would an enemy ever be able to conquer? No. He said back in the Torah that if they would keep the feasts and festivals and take their three pilgrim villages up to Jerusalem, would they ever be invaded and conquered? No. He said in Jeremiah 16 and 17 that if they would at least keep the Sabbath, keep Shabbat, then the nation would never be totally destroyed. So why did the nation get totally destroyed? Because they just were not willing to do it, right? So verse 17, God says, because of the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck, it means I did not come to his aid when Assyria attacked. When Babylon attacked, Assyria in the north, Babylon in the south, and then Rome took the entire country, why didn't God stop it? Because he said in Deuteronomy 28 what? If they turned away, they would go into captivity. Yes?
1: Was the covetousness desiring the idols of other
0: nations? Exactly. Yeah. Why can't we be like them? They get to worship those idols. They get to play with the prostitutes. We want to have some fun, too. Yeah, well, what's the wages of sin? Death. Yeah. So if we turn back to Deuteronomy 28, God told them in no uncertain terms what turning away from him to the pagan idols would bring, didn't he? He didn't mince any words. Starting in verse 15. Deuteronomy 28.15 and my Bible begins with the word but, but you've already scratched it out and put what? Yeah. And. It's just and. It shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes, I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And the curses go on and on and negate all the blessings God had promised for love and obedience in the first 14 verses. But then verse 36 specifically says, The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. So here in Isaiah, God said, You turned away from me. You turned to the pagan idols. You've just seen that if you put them all in a pile, what can they do for you? Not a thing. And he mocks them. A man grows a tree in a forest, cuts it down. Burns half of it in the fire to warm himself and cook his dinner and then worships the rest of it. And God says, does this make any sense to you? No. So verse 17, for the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. Struck him, that is, with the invading armies of other nations. I hid and was angry. Hid meaning I did not come to his aid. No matter how much they cried out, Lord, help, help, because they wouldn't repent. I hid him with angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. But verse 18 says, The Lord will not be angry forever because Israel will eventually repent. Verse 18, I have seen his ways the ways of repentance, the ways of coming back to God's path. And I will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. So this is what happens after he repents. Go back to Deuteronomy 30. God promised it all the way back in Deuteronomy 30 before Israel ever crossed the Jordan River to come into the promised land. In 28, he said, I'm going to send into captivity. Chapter 30 is what happens when you repent in captivity and come back to me.
2: Does
0: this have to start with the leadership? has to start with the leadership. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass. That word now is really what? And. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse... So did God know they would get blessed? Yes. Did he know they would get cursed? Yes. Did he know how many times they would get cursed? He knew that too. He told us in advance. And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you and you return to the Lord. What's that word return? To repent and come back to God. Return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. According to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. What does that mean, with all your heart, with all your soul? Means what? With every fiber of your being sincerely. In the past, Israel has repented. But did they mean it? No. But this time, they really, really will. Because what happens at the battle of Gog and Magog? Romans eleven twenty six says, and all Israel shall be saved. And they will truly repent and return to God with their whole heart, with their whole being. That the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Many people would say Israel's not in captivity today. Look at the land over there. But where are most Jews in the world today? In Israel or still scattered among the nations? A lot in New York. Believe it or not, there's even some in Georgia. And have compassion on you. Compassion. What is that word? Compassion. Mercy. Mercy. And gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, well, this area of Georgia pretty much (laughs) qualifies. From there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. You guys know that they offered Israel a new homeland in Africa. And what did the Jewish people say? Thanks. That's not what God promised. No thanks. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will what? Circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. What does that mean? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies, on those who hate you, who persecuted you. That's the second half of the tribulation period. It's late in the first half when all Israel gets saved. And then God turns his attention to the nations of the world that have abused Israel. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments I command you today. Do how many of them? All. They don't get to pick and choose no let's go also to John chapter 14If they truly love the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul what does it mean? let's go to the red words that you know so well John 14:15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So what happens when all Israel gets saved? They get sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The I is Messiah. The one who comes to you is the Holy Spirit. Is Yeshua God? Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. So we see the unity here. Not three gods, but one God who manifests himself in three ways. Verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Well, if he's not in the world anymore, how are we going to see him? He's going to return. We're going to go to him to be with him always at the rapture and resurrection. He says, because I live, you will live also. What does Paul called Messiah in 1 Corinthians 15? The first fruits of the resurrection. Which means the resurrection in Revelation 4 will bring the majority home. When does that happen? Verse 20. At that day. What day? The day of the Lord. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Does this explain Revelation fourteen twelve, which describes the saints as those who have the faith of Messiah and keep the commandments of God? Why do we return to keeping the commandments of God? Because of our faith. That's Romans 3.31, isn't it? Does our faith make void the law? No. It makes it strong. Verse 22 says, Judas, not as scary said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It may not be Judas Iscariot, but he's still not the brightest wick in the kindle. Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have sent. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 57, up to verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips. What's the fruit of the lips? Praise. Praise. Mm -hmm. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. What does that mean? Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near. In the messianic kingdom, will there be war? Give me a verse. Isaiah 2.4. Isaiah 2.4. We know when the millennial kingdom ends, there will be another battle of Gog and Magog, but that one is so short it doesn't qualify as a war. Isaiah 2.4, referring to the messianic kingdom with Messiah ruling and reigning right here on earth. In verse 3, it says he teaches the Torah, the law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. But in verse 4, it says he will judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is why it blows my mind every time I hear an amillennialist say we're in the messianic kingdom isn't it just so peaceful and loving and there's not war anywhere there's no hatred no violence and i go what planet are you living in scripture says on the word of two or more so let's go to micah chapter four micah chapter four also describes the messianic kingdom with messiah on the throne After telling us in verse 2, the Messiah is going to teach the Torah, the law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. In verse 3, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Susie Q, you're out there, aren't you? Let me hear you, Susie. That's not Susie. I can tell the difference. Aha. Look, look, in, look in chapter 4, verse 2. Look at the last two clauses. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What is it calling the word of the Lord here? The law. The law she was asking last night show me a verse where it says the word of the Lord is the same as the law of the Lord and we just found one didn't we Susie I bet it does the same thing in Isaiah 2 let's check check it out yep for out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem yep Both places. Don't know why I didn't think of it last night. Okay. Back to Isaiah 57. We're up to verse 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So what does this mean? Verses 20 and 21. Will the wicked be in the messianic kingdom? This kingdom of peace, love, and harmony? The answer is no. So what happens to them at the end of the tribulation period? They die. They die. Hmm. Let's put verses with some of these things. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18. That's all the way back talking about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham bargains with the Lord. Lord, will you treat the righteous and the wicked the same way, huh? Genesis 18, start in verse 23. Genesis 18, starting in verse 23. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Would God do that? Would he pour his wrath out on the righteous and the wicked together? No. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be like the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right?
1: Abraham's giving him a
0: lesson. (laughs) Now Abraham's just saying, God, I know you better than that. I know you wouldn't do that. So when you hear all the theologians today saying that the believers have to go through the tribulation period so that we can experience God's wrath, what does the Bible say? Yeah, let's go look at that. Let's look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 22. The angels are telling Lot, hurry up. Got to get you and your family out of here. says in verse 22 of Genesis 19, hurry, escape there, which is Zoar, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. The angels could not call down fire from heaven and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until the righteous were removed. Hmm. Let's go to Exodus 23, 7. The sins that Sodom
1: and Gomorrah were known for were actually carried out by the two daughters. Yeah.
0: So taken with them. Yeah, that's a different story, though, for a different day. You would think they would have known better, wouldn't you? They would.
1: Plus, his wife would have known better.
0: <laughs> Exodus twenty-three, seven. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked so does God discriminate and and tell the difference between the righteous and the wicked you bet he does first Kings 8 first Kings 8 verse 30 It is because of First Kings chapter 8, verses 30 to 32, that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, turns and prays toward Jerusalem, a prayer of repentance on behalf of the nation of Israel. So let's start in verse 30. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in the temple, then here in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way in his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. How many classes of people does God see Two, the wicked and the righteous. which group would you like to be in? John to be in his condemnation or in his righteousness. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. One thing you have to know about the English translations of your Bible is they will take many different Hebrew words and translate them into the same English word. And at other times they will take one Hebrew
1: word, Hebrew word make it seven English words.
0: Make it seven English words. Make they it do that name. too. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That word ungodly is the wicked. The wicked. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. So, what does this tell us about the ungodly, the wicked, and the sinners? What is their attitude toward the law of the Lord? They scorn it. They scorn it. What does it mean to scorn it? Does that just mean, eh? Nah, I can take it or leave it. Hold it in contempt. Oh, well, that makes me a little worried. Psalm eighty-one. Psalm 81, <clears throat> sorry, it's not here, it's Psalm 1, sorry, let's go back to Psalm 1, that's embarrassing, happens. yeah, verses 5 and 6, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Does that mean they won't be judged? No, it means they won't stand. They're going to fall. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This tells us that the sinners, the ungodly, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless they do what? They repent. If they repent and turn back to God, they're no longer called the ungodly the wicked, or the sinners. Verse six says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And now Psalm nine. Verse 17. I bet you won't have any trouble at all telling why I wanted to look at Psalm nine, verse seventeen. It says the wicked, meaning the ungodly, the lawless ones, mm-hmm. shall be turned into hell, and all the nations, meaning Gentiles, that forget God. But to forget God is not to keep His commandments. So does this tell us that God will judge the Gentile nations as to whether they did or did not keep His commandments? It absolutely does. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. I like Ecclesiastes. who wrote it? Solomon. Solomon's hard to spell, or Ecclesiastes. Okay, just put E C C period.
1: I went too far and had to continue it.
0: Okay, chapter eight, verse thirteen. But it will not be well with the wicked. Meaning come judgment day, it's not going to go well for the wicked one. No, will he prolong his days, which are are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. How does Solomon end Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14? Yeah. Verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. How many philosophy books have been written on why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Why is man even in this universe? The answer is right here. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For, which means because... God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon is trying to get across to his children and anyone else who will listen that God's going to judge everything you do. Do you want that judgment to go well? Then fear God and keep his commandments. Otherwise, judgment day... Will not be so much fun. Isaiah 3, verse 11. We read just a few minutes ago that it will not be well with the wicked. Right? That was in Proverbs. Isaiah went a little bit further in his description in verse 11 of Isaiah 3 says, woe to the wicked. If you're not a horse, what's woe? It's a bad thing. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. So not just it won't be good, but it will be ill with him for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Literally, the Hebrew says, will be done to him. As in the old Haman principle. Haman intended to hang... Mordecai on a pole 75 feet high, but who got hung on that pole? Ammon did. Not Mordecai. (laughs) Ammon did. The bad guy. Woo, yeah. Bad guy. Isaiah 11, verse 4. Yes, ma'am. Was there a question? Yes, go ahead. Yep, yeah. yep, Deuteronomy 5, that it may be well with them. Go ahead.
1: So that means not well with them, like on earth, it's more of
0: judgment? It's going to be both. On earth, if they had followed God's commandments and walked with them, they never would have been invaded by the outsiders. They never would have been taken captive. The nation would never have fallen. Jerusalem would not have been destroyed. So they could have avoided all those things. And then into eternity future. Yes, the scripture says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Okay, but so, it doesn't mean that we're not going to not be sick or not lose loved ones. Right, it doesn't mean that we won't suffer sickness, that we won't have loved ones die. Just think of it this way. How many times have you personally met Peter, Paul, James, and John? None. Why? Because <laughs> they all died back in the first century. They didn't keep raising each other from the dead. Or they'd still all be with us. Because going through trials that strengthens our faith. Yes, we learned last night that tribulation builds perseverance. Okay. Yeah. So there are those who teach that if you're a true believer and have faith, you can never get sick in this world and the Bible doesn't support it. Of Yeah, poor theology. In Isaiah 53, when it says, he bore our sicknesses, it tells us in the New Testament that was Messiah healing the sick who were brought to him. It didn't mean nobody got sick. Good question, though. Isaiah 11.4. Isaiah 11.4 describes the Messianic kingdom. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Do you guys know what equity is? That's a legal term. I'm surprised they use it here. mean, they will treat each other with fairness. fairness. Right. Mm-hmm. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. When does he do that? That's in Revelation 19. When he returns for Armageddon. That's right. It refers to him slaying with the breath of his mouth, and that does not mean he has bad breath. It means he speaks forth the word of God, and they can't stand before it. You guys are telling me to quit telling jokes. Okay, I got it. Isaiah 55, or at least tell better ones. Isaiah 55, verse 7. This is straight from the mouth of God's most famous prophet. Let the wicked forsake his way. Put that in modern English. Repent, stop sinning. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So if you wake up one morning and say, I'm on the wrong side of the Lord. I've been walking in sin all my life. What am I to do? That's what they asked Peter in Acts chapter 2. What shall we do? What did he say? Repent. Turn back to God. Because God marvelously forgives. Go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. Verses 18 and 19. Does God forgive? Yes, God forgives. Verse 18, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, Also, you will have delivered your soul. What does this say? Can a righteous man lose his righteousness when he turns into sin? That's exactly what it says. Again, verse 21. If you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin. How many preachers are out there today saying that if you walk down the aisle and make your confession of faith and you, you go it's ahead and all sin all you want, it's That's all okay. <laughs> what does this say? The righteous should not sin.
2: What does it mean, I will, requi-
1: uh, I will require his blood of you?
0: Means that it is as if you murdered him.
1: So you when we stand before the Lord, that will be one of the has forgiven, but he lists
0: stuff we've done. Yep, we're going to have to answer for it. It's
1: like just tolerating your children doing evil and not correcting them.
0: That's a bad thing. Let's not be guilty of that. Matthew 7, lest you think it's only Old Testament. The Old Testament, New Testament, they teach the same thing. Matthew 7. I was going to do the short version, but I'm not. I'm going to do the long version. We're going to start in verse 13. Everyone in verses 13 and 14 think they're on the road to heaven. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. What's that word? Destruction? That's the lake of fire. That's not good. So they think they're on the road to heaven, and when they get there, they're going to find it smoky. It says, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So out of those that think they're going to heaven, which is the majority? Those that make it to heaven or those that fall in the lake of fire? It's a lake of fire. Which leads people to say, but... Did you have something to add, Sam, or is it just a microphone problem? Um, No, I, I had a question, but I was waiting for you to finish your thought. Okay. So I hear a lot from people that, well, if they've been taught wrong, God won't hold them responsible for it. But he tells us in verse 15, why is it that the majority are on the road to destruction? It's because of the false teachers. They led them astray. Is there anything here that says, I will hold the false teachers accountable, but those people can go on into heaven. It's okay. The answer is there's not. There's not. I wish there was. But verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets, false teachers. What is a prophet? Why do they use the word prophet? Prophet is one who brings forth the word of God, either foretelling the future or repeating what God has taught in the past. That's a preacher's job, is to preach the word of God. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. That raises another question. If we're responsible, when we follow the teaching of a false teacher, how do we know a true teacher from a false teacher? Messiah explains that too. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Anybody ever do that? I didn't think so. How about figs from thistles? Nope. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not even a veil thread, is it? Where are those false teachers headed? To the lake of fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Are they teaching you to obey the commandments of God out of a loving heart built on faith? Or are they teaching you that your faith allows you to walk in sin on your path to heaven? So verses 21 to 23 really bring it into focus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, they're calling Yeshua Lord. Is that enough? No. No. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, in that day, what day? Day of the Lord, judgment day. It's too late at that point to change your destination. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? What are they trying to say? They're trying to prove that they were saved. Because of these things that they did. These things that they did, were they things God commanded or were they things that they were taught by other people that they should do? Are they following the commandments of God or of men? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anomia. Please write that word down in Greek, anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A, anomia. It is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word avon, A-V-O-N, avon calling. Avon means not just sin, but lawlessness. So the makeup, you know where that's going. Okay, verse 24, therefore, what does therefore mean? Because of this, because this is true. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Why does he add, and does them? it's It's not the hearers only, but it's the doers. I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That rock is our salvation by faith in Messiah Yeshua. What do you build on it? The rain descended, floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I know Sam out in California has seen this. I can tell you from my experience out there, when the rains come and the ground gives way, it's all over. It's all over. I'm sure I've told you of being stuck in traffic for hours and hours coming back from Santa Barbara County down Highway 1 and finally making it up to the point where the entire road was gone. And they're having to detour people through gas station parking lots. It simply had fallen into the sea. So when it means that the rains came and the floods came and the houses were destroyed, they mean totally destroyed. Let's go to Matthew thirteen. Uh, wait before we go. Go ahead, I have Sam. A question about of course. Um, in Ezekiel, we uh, went over about uh, warning people and talking to people about uh, uh, you know th- that hey they're in sin and they need to correct. And then just a, when we went to Matthew. <coughs> When we went to Matthew, just above Matthew, they had the Matthew 7, 6, Do not cast what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, least they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you. How does the Ezekiel verse that we talked about, how does that work with uh, Matthew uh, 7, 6 that I just read? Well, when God has appointed you to be the watchman, then he's given you a field to watch over and to warn. Don't cast your pearls before a swine, says, when people have made up their mind and they're not going to change it, then you may as well save your breath. You warned them, and they decided oh, not to turn. Oh, it's a sequence of timing thing. Okay, thank yep, you. Sure. Matthew 13. Before I tell you, go to Matthew 83, both of these are going to be in Matthew 13. Verse 38. The parable of the wheat and tares, you remember that one? I'm sure we all do. When you plant wheat and you plant tares, the plants look alike. It's not until they produce fruit that you can tell one from another. So Messiah tells us in verse 38, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So this verse is telling us you cannot tell the son of the kingdom from the son of the wicked one until you see their actions. Yeah, You can't look at a man's face and go, there's a saved man or there's a lost man. But when you see the actions, then you know. Verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. Let me ask a silly question. Who's being cast in the furnace of fire, the wicked or the just? The wicked. Then there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So the wicked are taken and thrown into the fire. When you get to Matthew 24... When there's two people in the field, one's taken, the other's left, people go, oh, the one taken's taken in the rapture. Now you gotta put these two parables together. The one that's taken was the unbeliever. He's talking about when he returns in the tribulation period. So look at Matthew twenty four, verse forty. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. This is not about the rapture. This is about the return of the Lord at Armageddon and the destruction of the wicked. The one that's taken is wicked. The one that's left is righteous. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Which is the one that's taken? The unrighteous one. Yes, ma'am? How do you determine
2: that? Because why wouldn't you think that it was the good one that was taken in the rapture?
0: because if you go back to the questions that were asked of the Messiah, go back to earlier in Matthew 24, verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, number one, when will these things be? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? The word coming, parousia, is the return as a king bringing the kingdom. And three, and at the end of the age. What did they ask about the rapture? Nothing. Nothing. So he's answering these three specific questions. Why didn't they ask about the rapture? They didn't even know there was going to be a church. They didn't have any basis upon which to answer a question. So Messiah is only teaching about the rapture and the resurrections in John. Let's go to John 14. John 14 verses 1 through 3 is the only place where Messiah ever even mentions the rapture and the resurrection in prophecy. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. It's not mansions. Even my Bible has an asterisk to say it's not mansions. It's referring to the bridal chambers of Isaiah 26. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. For whom does the bridegroom go to prepare a bridal chamber? For the bride. And then comes back to get the bride. That's verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And additionally, back in Matthew 24, there's another key that I should point out. In verse 28. Yeah, Matthew 24, verse 28. Something else I didn't point out in Matthew before we went to John. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So who are the vultures munching upon, the just or the unjust? The bodies of the unjust. So the one left behind is the one who has repented during the tribulation period. Correct, that's correct. Those that were not saved when the rapture came but got saved during the seven year tribulation period and survived it. Okay, back to Isaiah. We're up to chapter 58. Isaiah 58 begins with the Lord talking to Isaiah himself. Cry aloud. Does that mean cry as in wah wah? No, it means proclaim loudly. Proclaim what? The prophecies that God's given. The cry of repentance, the cry of return to the Lord your God. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. What's the purpose of a trumpet's blast? To gather the people together, right? To prepare them to hear. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Why? What has God just said? There is no peace for the wicked. So Isaiah cry out, tell them to repent. Call them back to me. Tell them to acknowledge their sin, their transgression. Now said Jacob, their sins. Um, They didn't translate this exactly rightly. That first word transgression refers to willful sins. And the second word where they say sins, that's actually the word that's transgressions. Yeah, who cares? We're not Hebrew students, right? That's it, 115. Okay, so verse 2, yet they seek me daily. Here's where God is concerned. The people come to the temple, they bring in the sacrifices, they cry out to him for blessings. But they won't repent of their sins. They want it both ways. They want to continue to walk in their sins while they're blessed by God and called his children and he their God. Does it work that way? No.
1: Ritual doesn't save you.
0: Ritual does not save. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They like hearing what the way of the Lord is. They just don't want to do it. They like
1: singing all that
0: good song. Yeah, they want to hear what they don't want to do. As a nation that did righteousness, they pretend to be righteous. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. What's he calling them here? Hypocrite. Hypocrites. That's exactly what he's saying. They come to his house, call him their God, claim to be righteous people, while knowingly, deliberately continuing to live in sin. That's all the way back in chapter 1 of Isaiah. Let's go back and look at the opening volley. The opening volley is a legal charge laid out by God against the children of Israel. When it starts in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's not talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed back in Genesis 19. He's talking to Jerusalem. Why would he call them Sodom and Gomorrah? Because that's the way they're acting. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? It's not that they've stopped bringing them. They're bringing me. He says, what good are they? The purpose of the sacrifices was, one, you acknowledge your sin. Two, you repent of your sin. Three, then you bring me the sacrifice. They skip the acknowledging the sin and repenting. They just want to be forgiven. They don't want to be held responsible for their sins. So verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. What does that mean? Repent. Put away the sin. He says, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though the red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. Turn back to Isaiah 58 and compare. Compare. Verse 1 Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. <coughs> Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, like a nation that did righteousness, and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Does this sound like Ezekiel? Let's turn to Ezekiel for a moment. Ezekiel comes later in time, but not much later. God is still trying to get the people to repent. Look at Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14, verse 2. Well, we'll start in verse 1 so we see the whole story. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts, and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired at all by them? Verse 6, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. And what about Jeremiah? Let's look at Jeremiah. Verse
2: 16.
0: Chapter 16. Yes, ma'am.
2: It almost makes you feel like those religious practices are a description of idols.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you are not truly repentant, then it's just a mockery. In Jeremiah 16, we're again with the situation where God tells Jeremiah when the people say, what are we doing wrong? We take God our lambs. So, Jeremiah 16, starting in verse 10 And it shall be when I show this people all these words that is, the judgment's coming. And they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? They have idols set up everywhere. They're sacrificing their children to the pagan gods. And yet they're taking a lamb up to God now and then and saying, here you go, God, we're even, right? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They've walked after other gods and have served them and have worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And you've done worse than your fathers. Deuteronomy 8.11 They've not kept my law means they have forsaken me. They have forgotten me. So back to Isaiah 58. Yep. Are they really that
2: dumb? Or are they like legitimately asking what what have we done?
0: I think they are legitimately misled because the false prophets are telling them that so long as you take that lamb up to God, you're just fine. This is what they've been taught. They've been taught wrong.
1: They didn't have copies of the Torah themselves.
0: They did not. And they were taught so wrong. Yet, yeah. So in Isaiah 58 too, God calls them hypocrites. Let's get forward in time to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. 600 years give or take later Those generations have fallen away. They've been replaced by the scribes and the Pharisees as the teachers of Israel. Matthew 15. We'll start in verse 1 for context. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Yeshua saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Is that God's commandments? No, it's their man-made rules and regulations. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. They have elevated tradition, doctrine, over God's commandments. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profits you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Then skip forward to Judgment Day. That's what we read in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. The people thought they were saved because they believed the false teachers. They did all kinds of things that the false teachers commanded, but the false teachers told them not to follow God's commandments, but to do these doctrinal things instead. And at that point, what can the people do? Answers, nothing, it's too late. And what does Matthew seven twenty three say? Well, it's okay, you were taught by false teachers, so enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. No. Okay.
1: God has a hundred paths to heaven, right?
0: It, that's not at all what it says, right? Right. And then in Mark 7, he says the same thing. It's the same story but I want you to see that it was important enough that they included it in multiple Gospels. Verses 6 through 8. Mark 7. In fact, we'll do 5 to 8. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But he bred with unwashed hands. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Now skip forward to the fourth century. God said, Remember the Sabbath day. What did the Catholic Church say? Don't you dare keep the Sabbath.' You must observe Sunday instead. Don't do what God said. Do what we command.
1: Just what we've been doing ever since.
0: Yeah. God said do the Passover. In the 4th century the Catholic Church said don't you do the Passover. That's like those old Jews do. We're going to do Easter instead. We're going to color eggs and do all kinds of pretty things. Don't do tabernacles. Do Christmas. Don't avoid unclean foods like God said. Eat pigs and shrimps and lobsters. We'll make God happy. What's going to happen when people get to Judgment Day and find out they were taught by the false teachers?
2: Hopefully they'll wake up after the rapture.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully.
1: But there's no excuse now that everyone has a copy of the Bible. Well, it's still, you know, the Bible is actually mistranslated in ways to cover up many of those things.
0: Yes, that's true.
2: But Jesus even said in Matthew twenty-three, thirteen, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither you go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in."
0: Yeah, it's just—it's right there. It's right there. And as we get closer to the end of this age, it just becomes more of a burden on my heart to say, we've got to get the message out. That's why we put up a website and a podcast, and we're on Joy Christian Radio and doing all we can do to get the word out. But people have to want to hear. Let's go back to Isaiah 58.
2: not
0: yeah. what God commanded. You it's know, like a long this, process, isn't it? Like
2: here in Mark 7, you know, like the Lord said, you lay aside the commandments of God and hold the traditions of men, and the irony of that is they use this same chapter to lay aside God's commandments because yeah. they say God cleansed the pig. Yeah.
0: Oh, that just that Sorry, just I mean, kills like, me. The
2: irony of it all is they're still like a God's command.
0: Yeah. I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I recently had a conversation with the pastor of a church mm-hmm. out in Nebraska, and his translation was the New Living Translation. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. It's a paraphrase, and it's based on the Westcott-Hort, and it's got right there in parentheses just thus Jesus declared all foods clean. <laughs> and we talked about it. He said. You're telling me that God's word is wrong? I and I said, no, I'm telling you that the translation has led you astray. God's word is accurate, but sometimes it's mistranslated. And that was a very hard thing for him to hear.
1: Sure. Itching ear says, I want to hear that. So I'm glad you finally said that all things are, all foods are good.
2: I wanted to hear
0: that. Yeah. So let's go back to Isaiah 58. Yeah, yeah. And who in the scriptures would have thought a pig was food? Answers, nobody. Yeah. Verse 3. The people are asking. They think they're righteous, so they say, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? They believe they're doing good. How many times were they fasting?
1: Twice a week.
0: Twice a week. Did God command them to fast twice a week? No, who did? The The rabbis, the Pharisees. Oh my. He says, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Mm -hmm. So this is the answer to the question why didn't you hear our prayers? What does Proverbs 28.9 say? Let's turn over to Proverbs 28.9. Proverbs 28.9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, the Torah, the commandments of God, even his prayer is an abomination. There's a verse earlier than that in Proverbs that I rarely think to mention, but let's see if I can find it real quickly. Probably not. Ah, Proverbs 15, verse 8. Remember, they're talking about their sacrifices, their fasts. It says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So even though they're bringing a lamb up to God's temple to be sacrificed to God, he calls it an abomination because they are unrepentantly walking in their sin. It says, but the prayer of the upright is his delight, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Back to Isaiah 58. The people believe they're saved, but they're not. Verse 4. Wait a minute. Uh Uh-oh, got got another one here. Here. When it says in verse 3, in fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure. That word pleasure in in Hebrew, which is Hebrew word 2656. Six. And what it means by your pleasure is doing what we desire rather than what God told us to do. So let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6.
1: He fast did not even deprive them of the pleasure of eating. Right. They weren't fasting; they were eating differently.
0: Right. They were avoiding meat and wine, but eating vegetables and drinking water. I
1: have a different menu today. Therefore, God must be pleased.
0: Exactly. And is God pleased?
1: No, they're just getting—they're you know, getting fat, and uh, it's, it doesn't please God at all.
0: That's true. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So their fasting was not to please God. Their fasting was for hypocritical purposes. Verse 4. Indeed. I'm sorry. That's Isaiah 58, verse 4. Sometimes I forget. I know comes with age. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. That's what Matthew 14 is about. If you're going to do the twice a week fast, don't make it a point of pride and arrogance and beat the other people about the head and shoulders about it because they're not doing it. God didn't command it. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. You know what? It almost sounds like God wants things done his way.
1: Mm.
0: Imagine that. One of the most misunderstood parables perhaps is in Matthew 9 verses 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. So Messiah's disciples, were they doing the twice a week fast? No. Nope. And Yeshua said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom was with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. What is the piece of unshrunk cloth? It's the gospel. What's the old garment? is Judaism as it's been made by the scribes and the Pharisees with their man-made rules and regulations. Can you take the worship of God and the following of man-made bad doctrine and put them together and come out with the whole garment? answer is no. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The new wine is the gospel. The old wineskins is Judaism as taught by the scribes and Pharisees. Or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. That last sentence, they put new wine into new wineskins, that's two different words for new in the Greek. The new wine is neos. New wineskins, that's kynos, renewed, refreshed. You've got to take the commandments of God, not the commandments of men. You've got to go back to the true word of God as God gave it, not what the Pharisees and scribes made it into. Then the two fit together hand in hand. Faith and law work together. Law without faith, no good. Faith without law, no good. That's what James was trying to teach. What did he say? Faith without works is dead. So you need to keep the commandments of God because of your faith. That's Romans 3.31. Back to Isaiah chapter 58. Verse 6. Wait a minute. We didn't do 5. Yes, ma'am.
2: When it mentions exploit all your laborers, were Uh they causing their servants to work on the fast days?
0: Yep, fast days, Shabbats, whatever. They weren't willing to let them rest because they wanted to put money in their pockets. Wow. So verse 5, is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? and to spread out sackcloth and ashes, would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? What he's saying is, if you fast in repentance, God will see it. If you fast as a show for other people to pat you on the back and say, look how righteous this man is, then you're wrong. We fast for God. To say that we repent of our sins, we're in anguish over the sins we've committed. We should never have done that. We don't want to injure the Lord our God through our actions. That's what fasting is all about. A day to afflict your souls because of sin. So verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen? Meaning, wouldn't this please me more? To loose the bonds of wickedness. What does that mean? To repent. To quit sinning. God says, boy, would I like that. To undo the heavy burdens. Oh. What does Messiah say about God's commandments? His yoke is easy. What about the commandments of the Pharisees and scribes? Heavy and they won't even lift them with one of their little fingers. To undo the heavy burdens that is that you've imposed on others, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is about the judgment of Messiah after Armageddon's over. Who lives, who dies. Matthew 25, verse 31. It's a more detailed explanation of there are two women in the field. Two women grinding, two men in the field, whoever's in the field. Man and woman, both both those cases are in italics. There's two people. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's not at the rapture, that's the second coming and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. This is the establishment of the kingdom. All the nations will be gathered before him. That word nations refers to the Gentile world. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He put the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Which is the preferred hand? Which is the hand of honor? The right hand. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then a king will answer and say to them, notice the use of the word king. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then we'll also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? You'll answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what did they do that pleased the Lord? They took care of the hungry, the orphans, the widows, the strangers, those that were in need. And they did it out of heart of love because of the love of Messiah in their hearts. And those that get sent away, they thought only of themselves. They didn't care about the needs of others. Which takes us to the book of James, like we mentioned a few minutes ago. James tells us a lot about what it means to walk as a believer in Messiah. James chapter 1. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. What's another word for filthiness? Uncleanness, unholiness. An overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Another word for meekness is humility. Where am I? Verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21.
1: Thank
0: you. Mm-hmm. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. What's that mean? Mm -hmm. If you hear the word of God but you don't do it and think you're righteous, you're just deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's referring to the Torah, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's what Messiah was talking about, Matthew 25. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What's another way to say unspotted? In Hebrew, tamim. And isn't that what they're getting at? Tamim, without spot, Or blemish. And then in James chapter 2. Starting in verse 14. Verse 12 says. We'll be judged by the law of liberty. That's also the Torah. The commandments. statutes, and judgments of God. That we call the law. Verse 14 says. What does it profit my brethren. If someone says he has faith. But does not have works can faith save him, meaning can an empty declaration of faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, meaning a declaration of faith, empty words, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Is that what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only? Yeah. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But are they saved, the demons? No. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Again, if your actions don't demonstrate your faith, your faith isn't real. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son in the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Meaning his works demonstrated the truth of his faith. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. You got to be careful how you read that. Means make sure your actions reflect your faith. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? question is, why did she do that? Why did she save the Israelite spies? Because she, believed in God. because she believed in God. So she demonstrated her faith by protecting the spies. For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And then let's not forget James 3.1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So if I mislead you, and take you off the path of righteousness, it doesn't mean you get off scot-free, but it means I'm gonna be in great kimchi. Back to Isaiah 58. Verse eight. Referring back to verse 7, sharing your bread with your hungry, giving housing to those that are destitute, covering up the naked, etc. Verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning. It's actually not the word morning, it's the word dawn. Dawn is when it's dark outside and the light first begins to shine. How bright that is! How beautiful. When the first sunlight of the morning breaks through. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. I mean, you don't have to tell people. They will see the generous nature of your actions to the poor, the widows, and orphans. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. But that's not what it's trying to tell us. What that sentence means, the glory of the Lord shall gather you in when you die, ushering into the kingdom is what it's referring to. Verse 9, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, here I am, Hanani means here I am and what can I do for you? I'm ready to do whatever you want, whatever you need. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, in speaking wickedness. So if you repent, turn away from the sin, turn back to God, God will hear the prayers. God will answer the prayers. If we hadn't already looked at it, we'd go to Proverbs 28, 9, but, well, let's just do it anyway. Proverbs 28, 9. When he turns away his ear from hearing the law, the Torah... Even his prayer is an abomination. And that's also in where in John? John 9.31. So let's go to John 9.31. Make sure we get that in the notes. It's not just an Old Testament concept. John 9.31. Oops, I see two red circles out there. Let's see what they are. So the least of these, my brethren, somebody asks is, yes, it's referring to the Jewish believers that have come to faith as well as the Gentile believers that have come to faith in the tribulation period. They won't be able to buy or sell. They're going to be in really, really hard straits. Do you have compassion on them? And Susie Q and Danny ask, works again in James 2, referring to keeping his commandments and laws. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So John 9:31 Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will that is keeps his commandments, he hears him. Psalm 38:15 Psalm 38:15 Psalm 38, verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope, that as I put my faith, you will hear, O Lord my God. Who's who's writing this psalm? Psalm of David. David says, Because I put all my faith and hope in you, O Lord, then you will hear me, O Lord my God. Psalm chapter 86, verse 7. Another prayer of David. Psalm 86 verse 7. For in the day of my trouble. I will call upon you. For you will answer me. The day of Jacob's trouble is another term for what? The tribulation period. Zechariah. Zechariah. We're almost to Matthew when we get to Zechariah. If you hit Matthew, turn back ten pages, maybe. Zechariah chapter ten, verse strength, verse six. Zechariah chapter ten, verse six. I will strengthen the house of Judah, that's the southern kingdom of Israel. And I will save the house of Joseph, that's the northern kingdom. When do they both get brought back into the land and put into one nation again? In the kingdom when Messiah returns. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. So what have the people done in captivity? They've repented. They've come back to God. And now God will hear their prayers and answer them. In Zechariah, staying in that book, chapter 13, verse 9. Verse 9 is about the seven-year tribulation period. I will bring the one-third, that's the one-third of Israel, through the fire. The fire is the judgments of the tribulation period. Refine them as silver is refined. You refine silver by putting it through the fire seven times. There's seven years of the tribulation period. You see the picture. And test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. That's Romans eleven twenty six, 26. And all Israel shall be saved. One more reference in Isaiah. That's in Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 is about the second coming of the Lord. Verses 17 to 25. So Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Verse 17 talks about the new heavens and the new earth, but we're talking about now the messianic kingdom which precedes it. So between the second coming of the Lord and the new heavens and new earth, there's the millennial kingdom. Verse 20 says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. That is, no more children dying as infants. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. Meaning the lifespan of people will be back to like it was before the flood. So somebody who's 100 years old is still considered a child. Yeah. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So somebody who dies young is because they went away from the path of righteousness into sin. That's the only way they're going to die young. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit, meaning no more captivity. They shall not plant in another eat, for as the days of a tree so shall be the days of my people. How many of you have been to the Garden of Gethsemane? Have you walked the path between the Garden of Gethsemane and the tree of all I'm sorry, the church of all nations? Right beside the Church of All Nations, you can reach your finger through the fence when nobody's looking, and you can touch one of the olive trees that's over 2,000 years old, the very same olive trees Messiah prayed under before he was arrested and taken away. The trees are 2,000 years old. says, for as the days of a tree so shall be the days of my people. Long lives. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. How do we know that this is in the kingdom and not in the new heavens and new earth? In new heavens and new earth there is no death and there is no sin. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain. That is, the earth will produce bountifully. There won't be any failed crops. There won't be any famine. Nor bring forth children for trouble. Children are going to be our a, 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 a joy. Once more, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. What's the state of people in the kingdom? Righteous. Righteous. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That goes right along with Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. No war. Nobody's going to break in your house and kill you in the middle of the night to steal your stuff. It's not going to be that way. Wouldn't you like to be in that kingdom? Mm. Okay, back in Isaiah 58, that was verse 9. And you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and you shall say, here I am, Hanani. If you take away the yoke from your midst, what is that word yoke there? It's a different word than you normally see for yoke. That word means perversion. Take away perversion. Take away idolatry. Take away sexual immorality. Be done with those things. That is, repent and come back to the Lord in righteousness. And I have run to the end of my time. We will pick up next week, Lord willing, in Isaiah chapter 58 in verse 10.